Well, let's start with prayer. Father, we, we just thank you uh, that we can be gathered here as your daughters in this place this morning, Lord. And Lord, we know that sometimes it's a struggle, especially in the mornings, Lord, to um, do what we have to do at home and then get all dressed up or just dressed even and, and come here. But we're thankful that we can come and worship you. Lord, we can turn our eyes towards Jesus, Lord, the author and finisher of our faith, and we can sit at your feet and hear your words to us. And so this morning, Father, I ask that um, you would just speak, that um, your Holy Spirit would anoint your word, God, that you would fill our hearts and our ears with what you want to say this morning, and something for everyone, and something from your spirit corporately. In Jesus' name, amen. Whew. I say I can run in heels, but it doesn't mean my, my breath can catch up to me. <laughs> so this morning we're going to be in chapter 3 of Philippians, uh, verses 1 through 14. And I would like that we would just start to read um, these, this whole uh, verses, 1 through 14, in chapter 3. So let's start. Finally, my brethren... Rejoice in the Lord, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of the dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of mutilation, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in our flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I, more so, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, in a Hebrew, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuted the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained in me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, sisters, I do not count myself to apprehended, but one thing I do. I forget these things which are behind, and I reach forward to those things that, which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful, beautiful exhortation we have from Paul. And last week, Mary was sharing with us how important it is to have obedience in Christ. And not just that plain, oh, okay, you know, like sometimes our kids might do, like, yeah, I'll obey it, but the heart's not there. The attitude isn't right. And here, Paul is, um, was telling us last week, it matters. It matters. The attitude in our hearts when we're obeying God. Are we doing it reluctantly or are we doing it wholeheartedly? Are we doing it partially 
Are we giving him everything that we have? <clears throat> and Paul is writing, again, probably everybody has said it um, through this study, he's writing these words from a prison cell. You know, his thoughts could be on himself and woe is me and what he is going through. But no, he turns his attention, he turns his sorrow into joy because his mind is not on himself. His mind is not on what he's going through. His mind is on building up the believers, the other believers. He wants to pour into their lives. He wants to encourage and exhort them and remind them of what is important. And in chapter 3, Paul starts out with the word finally. And a lot of times we think finally, it's like, okay, that's the end. And I had to laugh when I first read it, and I did, I did confess it to my husband. But, um, you know, when he was pastoring, and he had the tendency to always say, uh, finally, or in closing. And I was like, Jim, don't ever say that, please, because what happens is, Close the book. You hear the word finally. And it's like my Bible is closing. My attention is no longer like straight on what he's saying. I'm thinking of, okay, what am I supposed to do after, after church? And then I realized like Paul, finally to him didn't mean finally. It was like another couple of chapters or something like that. And so the pastor's wife never should be the bad example of closing her Bible and thinking that she doesn't need to pay attention anymore. Wait until they say, Okay, let's pray, and then say amen, and then close your Bibles. (laughs) Um, But Paul writes, finally, and then he says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, the theme of joy is just going through the chapters, and it's echoing through the book of Philippians. In between all the warnings that Paul is giving, all the exhortations and the reminders of how we are to live our Christian life, he reminds us that we are to rejoice in the Lord. And again, sitting in his prison cell, the, the theme of rejoicing is in Paul's heart and in his mind. He reminds us about the hardships that we face. He reminds us of the difficulties at, that want to rob us. That's what Satan wants to do when we go through difficulties in life, is he wants to rob us of the joy that we can have in Christ. He's not saying, like, jump up and down and and just be so thankful that things are going terribly right now. He's not saying that we have to be like, oh, thank you, thank you, bring it on, Bring, bring on some more trials in my life, I can't wait. No, but he's saying that no matter what we're going through in life, no matter what difficulty God is allowing us to, to endure right now, we are able to rejoice. We are able to get through the pain, the heartache that we go through, and the discouragement. Joy is possible. How? It's possible when we turn our focus back on Jesus. When we step away from those momentary things that we're going through, of asking God, why? When we don't understand why he is allowing us to go through what he's allowing, and we stop, and we're like, yeah, I need to get my focus off of these things right now. doesn't mean they're going to go away. It doesn't even mean that they're going to change right then and now. It just means that our focus, we're choosing. It's a choice that we have to make. Are we going to um, focus on what we're going through? Are we going to focus on the things that aren't right, that seem so unfair? Are we going to turn our focus onto Jesus? As we look like Paul at the eternal, always have to look and fix our eyes on, 
on the eternal and not on the temporary. The temporary wants to drag us down. The temporary wants, wants us to just stay still and not be able to move, not be able to function, not be able to pray, not even be able to read our Bibles because we just can't at that moment. But rejoicing in the Lord also guards our hearts, and it guards our minds. Sometimes when we suffer loss, sometimes when we go through difficulties in life, it's easy to get bitter. It's easy for that root of bitterness to grow in us, especially when we don't have an answer, especially when we think we've done everything that God wants us to do, and we've done it right, and we've done it with our whole heart, but he's still allows suffering to come in. He still allows difficulties to come into our life. And I I get angry sometimes. We've gone through some things lately, and I'm just angry. I, I had to tell Jim, I'm just so angry with the Lord right now. But why? Because I was focusing right here. I was just focusing on what was going on in our life and what wasn't going on, and not focusing on Jesus. It keeps us as we rejoice in him. And it's not a fake rejoicing. It's not a rejoice, oh, gee, thank you that, you know, I don't have a job or I don't have this. No, it's like, I'm rejoicing, Lord, because I honestly don't know. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know how we're going to put one foot in front of the other right now. But I rejoice in you because I know you know. I know you see the beginning to the end. And I know that you have promised so many promises in your word that you're going to look out for us, that you're going to keep us safe, that you are, are just going to do what only God can do. We have to guard our hearts against bitterness. We have to guard our hearts against anger because that gets us nowhere. It's only in rejoicing, turning our hearts in <clears throat> to be thankful to be thankful that we serve a God who knows, who's experienced everything that we go through. Looking again at the eternal rather than the temporary. We can have that joy that Peter talks about in 1 Peter 1.8. It's a joy unspeakable. How many have experienced that joy unspeakable when things are going awful? And yet somehow the Holy Spirit inside gives you a song to sing. He gives you a praise to turn that sorrow into rejoicing. It can only be as we humble ourselves like Paul. Paul didn't have his focus on himself. Paul had his focus on the Lord. And it's important that for Paul that he reminds them about the things that he taught them. And he said, it's not a bother for me. It's not a bother for me to repeat what I have to say to you. And he does it, I just picture him like with a father's heart. You know, not, not the, the, the mom, you know, uh, how many times have I told you this? And da, 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 da. No, Paul, he, he, he cares so much about seeing the Christians grow, about seeing the Christians rejoice, about seeing the Christians have peace in their life. And so for him, it's no big deal to repeat something over and over again and to remind them what is true to take their focus off what is false and what the enemy tries to throw at us 24-7. Paul wants to to remind them. And then what is the response? Sometimes, you know, if somebody is telling me, oh, uh, Margie, remember, and Jim's like, Margie, remember, blah, blah. I'm like, I know. You don't need to tell me this. I already know it. You told me a thousand times. But the older I get, the more I forget. So, <laughs> so it is good 
It is good as sisters in Christ, you know, when we, when we break apart, when we meet with each other, when we're in our groups, when we, we see one another suffering. You know, give them a hug, give them a pat, and remind them of the truth of the gospel. Because sometimes in sorrow and sometimes in difficulty and suffering, it's easy to forget what is true. Paul has so much humility here. He talks to them and he reminds them, not in this know-it-all type of an attitude. He speaks to them with a heart of humility, a heart of an attitude of humility. And then what does Paul do? He goes into warning. He warns the saints about false teachers. We need to be warned. You know, there's so many times in the, in, in the Bible, in the New Testament, that people are warning of what's to come, of what can be. Jesus warns people. Paul warns, uh, warns people. Peter, John, everybody is warning. Because why? Because there's people out there that want to pervert the word of God. There's people out there that want to distort the word of God and distort how we are saved. The, <clears throat> sorry. Paul is constantly warning against such people. He doesn't want Christians living in la-la land, like we're just, we're not aware of the things that are around us. You know, Jesus says we're in the world. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. We don't need to t- partake of the things that the world wants to offer, but we need to be aware He doesn't want us to be blindly walking into things or blindly talked into things that aren't lined up with the word of God. He doesn't want us to be swayed with every wind of doctrine that's out there. And there's a lot of things out there, you know. There's um, uh, all kinds of churches, and you can use that word loosely, that are out there that are saying this and saying that. And... We want to shy away from it sometimes. Sometimes, you know, we're not all good at confrontation, and we don't want to say, hey, guess what? That's not right. Can you show me where that is in the Word of God? Paul wants Christians to be Bereans. He wants us to go back to the Word of God and check and see, is, that, is what that person says lining up with the Word of God? It's okay that if he's not calling us to be confrontational at all times, but he does call us to be wise. He does call us to have wisdom. And he does call us to have discernment, to discern what is truth and what is a lie, to discern even what is half-truth. There's a lot of half-truths out there. A lot, of, a lot of people are saying, yes, here's salvation, but there's, there's grace plus something else. There's faith, plus something else. There isn't. Jesus never said grace plus, faith plus. The heart of Paul warning the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, and he tells them in verses 29 to 31 that he has never, ever shied away from speaking the truth. He says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up and speak perverse things to draw, away from the, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch, be aware, be on the lookout, and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn you, everyone night and day with tears. He's not warning them in, in a mean way. He's not trying to... Um, 
putting down other people, but he knows what's out there. Paul knows, and he wants to protect them. He wants them to be wise. He doesn't want them falling into trickery of what other people may be saying. When we, uh, we lived in Hungary, and um, our youngest daughter, Marla, she lived there for five years with us, and then she was getting ready to move back to um, the States and, and go to university. And I remember um, I was going through that book with her. Um, I can't remember the author, but it was A Young Girl After God's Heart. And uh, it's such a great book if you have young teens. or <laughs> She was probably 17 at the time, so it's just a really, really good book. And um, we were going through that, and, and I had very, very real conversations with my daughter. And that book I, I liked because it did bring up very real situations. And I wanted to prepare her for what life was like when she would move back to California. Because in Hungary, we lived, you know, in a village, maybe like 38 or 40,000 people. And you could walk everywhere. You know, we didn't really have to have a car unless we were driving far away. And it was pretty sheltered life. You know, she did, she did experience some crazy things, but the city itself, it was a pretty sheltered place. And, and so we'd have conversations, you know, about life back in California. And um, we talked about boys. And, you know, we had to have that talk because over there, uh, if you really want to protect your teens, move them, move them overseas where, <laughs> where um, God protects them. He protected her over there. But um, we had to have real conversations, and I had to be strong enough and brave enough to warn her of the things that could happen when she was here and talking about boys and the importance of following Jesus, even asking her, you know, at 17 years old, she was baptized when she was six, but it's like, are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? All these things to help prepare her and to warn her and to protect her from the dangers that are out there that she was unaware of at the time. That was my mother's heart for her, and that was Paul's heart, is to make aware to the Christians, what is out there, not scare them to death. You know, I didn't want Marla being like, oh gosh, I want to stay here with you. I don't want to, I don't want to move forward and go back to the States. But the heart to want to protect, the heart that wants to shield. Paul knew what was out there, and he also knew that pride can be a big thing. Even he's, as he was saying to the Ephesian elders, even amongst yourself, even amongst the congregation, sometimes if we don't check our hearts, there's easily pride that can come in. And that pride can ruin a lot of people. In in Matthew 7, 7, verses 15 to 16, uh, Jesus is warning us. He's saying to watch out, be aware why? Because there are wolves out there that are covered in sheep's clothing. And what, are, what is their purpose? To devour the sheep. Jesus doesn't want us to be tricked. He doesn't want us to be fooled. He wants us to have wisdom, to have discernment, and know the truth. The truth of his words. That's why it's important for us. It's important for us to be in fellowship, to be studying the word of God, to sit under teaching 
that doesn't just pick and choose what verses they're going to speak about and not put the verses and the full counsel of God into context. It's important that we learn the verses of God, precept upon precept, so that we are aware, that we are wise in the ways of Christ. There are people out there who want to add to his word. The Judaizers, as, as Paul is saying here in Philippians, they wanted to add to the word. They wanted to say that you need, the Gentiles needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. That's not what Jesus says. That's not what the word of God says. And Paul doesn't just say, you know, oh, well, just be aware of them. There's times in the word he tells Timothy, tell them to stop it. You know, sometimes you have to confront when people are erring in the word of God. They need to be confronted. Sometimes God is going to call you with love and, 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 and firmness to confront somebody, but sometimes he's going to just use it as a warning in your life to stay away from them. Don't get fooled into believing those things. He calls them dogs. He calls these evil worker dogs. And I know like it's so popular um, to have dogs nowadays, right? I have cats, so I'm not a uh, I'm not really, I'm a dog person, but not really. Um, but they weren't pets. You know, dogs, believe it or not, were not pets back in this time. They were just these, like, gross creatures that would go around and eat everybody's trash and, and devour what was there and walk beside people and, and just be gross, you know? And that's what Paul is calling these. I know it's hard to imagine nowadays, you know, that that cute little thing is is going to be called a, uh, an evil worker or something like that, a mutilator. But um, this is what Paul likens these false teachers to. They were just wreaking havoc wherever they want, and that's what these false teachers do. They go around and devour those who are vulnerable. They go around and devour and tear apart the work that Christ is doing in each person's life. And Paul wants us to stand up and to be wise, not just to believe everything that we hear. Go back to the word of God and make sure that that's what Jesus is teaching us. In Romans 10.9, we're told that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. It's with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with our mouth that we confess and are saved. This is salvation. It's not grace plus and it's not faith plus. It's believing with all of our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confessing that we believe. It is by grace that you have been saved by faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that nobody can can boast, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Paul reminds us that there, we should have no confidence in our flesh. It doesn't matter how long we've been walking with the Lord. It doesn't matter if we've been teaching um, messages or anything like that. It's so easy to, to have pride and to have confidence in your flesh, even serving the Lord, because so easily it can be just something, oh yeah, I, I know how to do it. And you can t- write a message as if you're making a... Um, a plan for a school class, you know, and leaving God out of it and putting that confidence in yourself 
and what you're able to do and not what Christ is doing, not giving glory to God. It's not about us, as Paul said, and our accomplishments. It's not about all the things that we've done right for the Lord this week. Those things are great, but that is not what our salvation is based upon. It's not based upon our works. It's not based upon our righteousness. It's based solely upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Paul, of all people, he had a resume, as, as we had read earlier. His resume was incredible. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, the Jew of all Jews. He did this, he did that. He was zealous in those things. But guess what? Those things didn't matter when it comes to salvation. Those things don't matter. He thought he was pleasing God with the things that he was doing. He thought he was pleasing God by persecuting Christians, by running into people's homes. I'm, I'm just finished uh, the portion in Acts and at home, and where Paul gets you know gets thrown off of his high horse and um, and meets Jesus. And how incredible to stop there and then to be studying for this, you know. And you see what Paul was. And now we can see in this book of Philippians who Paul is now. We can see his humility. We can see his dependence upon the Lord. It's all about the Lord. It's not about our own uh, credentials. Everything that Paul did in the past, he thought that he was pleasing God. He thought that he was gaining acceptance from God because he was doing the things he was doing as a Pharisee. But then what happened? He goes, and he, he, he goes on the road to Damascus, and he meets Jesus along the way. And what were his words? Who are you? And what do you want me to do? And Paul, the rest of his life, as we can see in all of his, his books, this is how he lived his life. Who are you, Lord? Who are you? No longer, who is Paul? Who is Saul? It's about who is the Lord and what do you want me to do? And that is where our heart should be. Who are you, Lord? Show me today afresh, anew, who are you and what do you want me to do? What does God want us to do today? Not resting on what we did yesterday, not resting on what we think he wants us to do, but asking him, what do you want me to do? He'll tell us. He's good at telling us what he wants us to do. He wants us to have that utter dependence upon him. And Paul realizes that he's no longer going to boast about his own righteousness. But now he boasts what? He boasts in his weaknesses because he knows that in his weakness, God is his strength. He doesn't glory in his accomplishments. He doesn't glory in the things that he used to do as a Pharisee. No, he glories in Jesus Christ in him alone. Instead of pride, the pride that Paul had as a Pharisee, we now see a life marked by humility. None of these things matter to Paul anymore. His focus has changed, and more importantly, his um, heart has changed. In verses 8 and 9 of Philippians 3, he says, Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, who I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. In all of Paul's giving up, he gained so much more. In verse 10, he no longer knows the name of Jesus only. 
He knew the name of Jesus when he was persecuting Christians, but now he knows Jesus personally. He has a personal relationship with Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He doesn't only just know Christ, but he knows the power of his resurrection. And I ask each of us today, do you know the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you know that power? Do you call upon that power? Romans 8, 11 is something all of us should have underlined in our Bible. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your moral bodies by the same Spirit living within you. That same power, have you really thought about this? The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living alive, alive, each and every day inside of each one of us. But so many of us live bogged down. We need to call upon that power. I think maybe we need to do a little more calling sometimes. We become meek and we become just so shy. He's your heavenly father. You have no problem, some of us, asking our dad to do something for us, asking a friend to do something for us. How much more will your heavenly father give you? Just call upon the name of Jesus and ask your heavenly father for that resurrection power. There's no need for us to be living uh, limp, without strength, when the answer is right there, just for the asking. In uh, Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, Paul, Paul writes again, I pray that you understand the incredible greatness of God's power for those who believe in him, the same mighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. There's adjectives in the Bible. And I always tell people I love adjectives in the Bible because Paul doesn't just say there's God's power available to us. No, he characterizes that power as incredible greatness. I don't know about you gals, but I need God's power. I need his incredible greatness in my life day by day. And it's a mighty power. It's not just power again. It's a mighty power. It's able to conquer anything that's going on in our lives. And not always are the circumstances going to change, but that power to understand who God is and that power to rejoice in him, no matter what is going on. The freedom, the joy, the victorious Christian life that we can live when we call upon the power of God. So many times we as Christians, we just give up. We give in and we walk around and we're just like this. No, raise your hands. Lift up your hands. High to heaven. I can't because I have a bad arm. But (laughs) lift up your hands, girls, ladies. Lift up your hands and cry out for that mighty, incredible, majestic power that Jesus Christ offers to each of us. And Paul goes on to say that he gains in, in the suffering with Christ, being like him in his death. We're not taught in life that to suffer is gain. Because life teaches us the more you get, the more you accomplish, that is gain. But it's so opposite of what Paul is saying here. We don't consider uh, sufferings always as gain, but it's been granted. It's a privilege. Remember back in uh, Philippians 1, it's been granted to each of us to suffer for his sake. And that suffering is going to look different to each of us. 
but it's suffering. The opportunity that God gives us in our suffering to commune with him, to fall on our face, to cry out, I don't know, I don't understand you. He'll answer us. He'll take his hand and he lifts up our chin so that we can look to him and not be looking down. It's an upward call. It's not a downward call. So when we call upon the Lord, we look up and call upon his name. How can he glory in his sufferings? We don't lose heart in 2 Corinthians four sixteen to 18. We don't lose heart even though outwardly we're perishing. And Paul calls it a light affliction. And if, you, if you've read about Paul's life, you know he didn't suffer just light afflictions. They were heavy duty. They were gnarly afflictions that he went through. But what? These light afflictions are working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Not looking at the things that are seen. But we are going to keep our eye on the eternal. Our eyes are going to be focused on Jesus and what is. Paul's focus was always on the eternal. And Paul says to us that he doesn't want to just share in Christ's sufferings but to know him in his death, emptying. What did Jesus do at his death? He emptied himself of everything, and he laid down his life for us. He died on that cross for us. And Paul, too, wants to remind us to empty ourselves, empty ourselves of ourselves, because we can fill ourselves with a lot of stuff that's not healthy. You know, we all get on these eating diets or whatever we call them, and uh, because we want to be so careful about what we are or not, or we're not putting in our bodies. But spiritually, what are we filling ourselves with? We need to die to those things. We need to surrender them over to the Lord so that we can have that resurrected life inside of us. Jesus reminds us that if anyone would come after himself to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him, truly, truly, Jesus says in John 12, 24, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And Jesus' death has borne so much fruit. So much fruit that the entire church in this world is because Jesus humbled himself on that cross and died for each of us. And Paul tells us his It's humble, humble heart in verse 12. After he's giving us this entire exhortation about rejoicing, about dying with with Christ, about having the, the mind and the focus of Christ, about not looking at our past accomplishments, but keeping our eyes focused on Jesus. He's not telling the Philippians, and he's not telling us, hey, guys, I've made it. Like, how do we make that sign, you know? Like, pat me on the back. I'm amazing. I've done it. Now you guys need to do what I've been doing. No, he is humble and he's saying, I haven't, I haven't made it. I'm not perfect. I haven't attained. But I'm going to keep on going forward. I'm going to press on. He hasn't aced Christianity. He's had bad days, I'm sure, like the rest of us, where he's, he's cried out to the Lord. He's had disappointments. He's had discouragements. He's had beatings. He's had betrayals. He's had a lot of the same things that many of us go through. But he's not going to let them stop him from moving forward in his walk with the Lord. He's going to hand them to the Lord and allow the Lord to deal with them. He doesn't dwell on his past. He doesn't allow the past to hinder his present. He's straining 
And sometimes life is one big strain. And sometimes in our life, it's just one thing after another that doesn't seem to stop. But you know what? Paul is going to strain. And what does the word strain mean? I looked it up. Um, Because it's a strenuous or an unusually great effort. And sometimes in life, just to push forward, just to keep on going one foot in the other, it's a strain. But it's a strain that we don't have to do by ourselves. I picture these guys that are girls nowadays, they are lifting these weights, you know, and they're pressing. And they have somebody on each side of them, usually those spotter people. And they're just grunting and groaning and making all this noise to try and get this, this weight off of their chest. And they're being cheered on. We're being cheered on too. We're being cheered on by our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're being cheered on by Jesus himself, the Holy Spirit telling us, you can do it. Yes, these things happen. Yes, these things are still going on. But guess what? I want you to keep on going. I don't want you to be just like this for the rest of your life and wondering why and second-guessing yourself and second-guessing your choices. Move on. Press on. No matter how difficult it may be, we can do it because we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Paul wants us to keep our eyes on the prize. Paul's eye was on the prize. We, like Paul, whose hearts and minds are fixed on Jesus, and we, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we will see the prize. We put our trust, our hope, our faith in all that Christ has done and all that Jesus is still doing in our lives, that we would be wise, that we would be wise and be able to discern Who are the shepherds? Who are the true shepherds? And who are the wolves? May we live our lives not trying to do things in our own strength, but in the strength and the power of our mighty God. The power that reigns inside of each of us, that power that is available to each of us. It's only then that we can move forward one foot in front of the other and and know that that prize that glorious prize that we will have one day face-to-face with our Savior, one day face-to-face with our Jesus, with his nail-scarred hands just holding us tightly and living with him, rejoicing with him, and praising him forever and ever. Amen. Hello? Okay. Great, great message. So many good things in there. Thank you, Margie. But I know as I was sitting there and she was talking about and, and exhorting and calling, you know, are you tapping into the power of the resurrection? And I think a lot of times we probably honestly have to say, we're not, you know, we don't, or we don't ask for access to that. So I'm just going to have Margie pray over us. If you want to stand, if you want to just kneel, if you want to open your hand, you just want to stay seated. Um, but make some, some act of faith where you are saying, Lord, yes, I want to receive what you've appropriated for me, that same power that um, raised Jesus. And I, I, when she was teaching, raised Jesus, but seated Jesus at the right hand of God. So um, pretty powerful stuff. So I'm going to have Margie pray for us. Oh, I have this thing. Mm. 
Heavenly Father, um, we just thank you for your word, Lord, and we thank you that you remind us of the power that is available to us, that resurrection power. And Lord, not just as a phrase, but we want to experience that power in our lives, Lord. We don't want to walk as though we're hopeless or helpless. Lord, we want to have our eyes fixed upon you. Lord, we want to trust that your word and believe that your word is powerful, that it is mighty. God, we want to call upon you to fill us right now, Lord, as we just will lift our hands to you, Father. And, and it's an act of humility sometimes to just admit we can't do it on our own. We're trying so hard in so many things to fall back on, on things we used to know, of things that how we used to live of the power that we received last month or last year or when we were first saved, when we first surrendered our lives to you, Jesus. But we want, we want to ask you right now, Jesus, to fill us. Fill us with your mighty power, that resurrecting power that we need daily in our lives, God. We humbly come before you, Jesus, and we ask you, that you would fill us to overflowing, that we would be victorious, God, that we would be able to, by your strength, by your power, by your word, God, to, to live those lives that you call us to live. You didn't call us, Lord, so, so that we would be weak, so that we would be without hope, so that we would despair. Lord, you called us to a victorious Christian life. We surrender our failures to you, Lord. We surrender even our accomplishments to you. We give them all to you now, Jesus. And we ask you, God, that you would fill us afresh, that your Holy Spirit would come upon us, God. Fill us to overflowing as only you can do, Lord. Bless each and every lady in this place now, Lord. Lord, may we walk in resurrection power. May we make decisions in your resurrection power. May we yield to your resurrection power, Father. We can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives us the strength. Empty us, God, of ourselves that we may be filled to overflowing with you. May we not go out today, Lord, as we came in. May we go out today in your name, in your power, and in your strength. In Jesus' name, amen.